I forget a lot of things. I have a terrible memory, and so I have to put everything on my calendar. If I'm doing something in three days, yeah, I might not remember. I better put that on the calendar. Uh, and it's great to be able to have a smartphone that allows me to do that and to be able to like, set timed reminders for things that are coming up. Um, most of you probably have a better memory than I do. But we all need reminders for stuff. And yeah, we need reminders about simple things like needing to buy milk or that your kid has like a soccer game at 10 a.m. or that you need to take your cat to the vet. Uh, but I think more than that, more than these calendar ads for mundane tasks, we need to be reminded about some bigger things. Like that life is more than the drudgery of the office job that you might hate or the insane amount of schoolwork that you have. We need reminders that there are good things in this world and that God is at work in this place. And it can be rightly easy to get down about this world. There's a lot of trouble and a lot of bad happening out there, and there's a lot of bad happening in the lives of those we love and in the lives of ourselves. And it can be tiring seeing and experiencing all of that. It can be tiring to be a person who cares and as a person trying to make it better. It is a lot of work. And I'm sure that each and every one of us has felt that before. Uh, two months back when we were running our vacation Bible school, uh, Bob and I were leading the volunteers in training, which were the younger junior hires, and we were working on creating lessons and a curriculum to help them learn what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And during most of the week, we were talking about this high calling that Jesus has for his followers, what it looks like to serve others and put them before yourself. But we ended the week talking about rest, because it, it can often feel like God calls us to do a lot. And it can be really overwhelming when you read stuff in the Bible like, take up your cross and follow me. To live that out is draining. There is no other way around that. To, to love others is a lot of work. And Jesus was almost certainly tired, probably quite often. And yet, the same man who asks us to take up our cross and follow him can also say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's almost contradictory, truly calling us to that high standard, but also saying that we'll find rest in him. But this rest that we can find in Jesus, this rest that God wants for our souls, it's easy to forget when we start to become overwhelmed by the harshness of the current age. We need to be reminded of what God promises for us. We need those calendar notifications like that to pop up and help center us. <laughs> and more than that, we need for that rest to become embedded in our souls. The 
ancient Israelites, as you can imagine, did not have smartphones or calendar invites, but they did have special days like holidays and festivals. Uh, one of the core reminders for the ancient Israelites was Sabbath. Uh, Pastor Dean talked about the Sabbath two weeks ago. And so if you're interested in a really great, grounded, practical talk about rest from the Sabbath, I'd go back, listen to that sermon. Uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit more today. Um, in short, the Sabbath was once every seven days. It was from Friday night to Saturday night. And it was where God asked his people to stop, to Shabbat, to not work. And there are a couple of reasons for this, I think. Um, very briefly, the first was being that we need to rest. We're, we're not made to work all the time. We will burn out and fall apart. Second, being that we need to celebrate. God gives us all that we have, and we can celebrate what he has given us. Third, being that we need to trust God in that moment, because it can be really difficult to stop working and to trust that what we have done is enough and to trust that God will give or has given us enough. So Sabbath is what the Israelites did every seven days, a weekly reminder of those reasons. But God roots the Sabbath in a story. In the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath from the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For, and here's the reason he gives, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. For that reason the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Sabbath practice, it points to a story. It is a reminder to the Israelites of a core story, their origin story, the origin story of all of humanity back in Genesis 1. So let's mentally zoom all the way back in the Bible to Genesis 1. What does God do in Genesis 1? He creates. It's the creation account. And it talks about how he works for six days, and then he rests on the seventh day, like it just said in Exodus. And Genesis 1 is, is deeply important because it tells us a lot about God and a lot about ourselves if we take the time to meditate on it. In Genesis 1, we have this depiction of God who is working against darkness to bring about light, working against chaos to bring about order, working to make life flourish. It's this beautiful picture. It's about this fruitfulness and energy and abundant life flowing from God into creation with all of these creatures that are multiplying, fruit trees that spill over with food to feed them all. It is a world characterized by the goodness and generosity of God. And in all of that, God has placed human beings in a special role right there. In Genesis 1.27, it's there to be his image on the earth. It says, so God created man in his own image, the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so human beings are somehow like God and have this special relationship with him. 
And when it comes to the work of humans, God tells the Israelites, like in Exodus 20, six days you shall work, one day you shall rest. Imitating their creator to Shabbat, to Sabbath, is to imitate God. And so every week, 52 times a year, they are reminded of what God did and reminded that we are to imitate him, not, not just in our rest, but in our work. And it's, it's not that we can create something from nothing. We're not God. Um, but as his image bearers, we have the ability and the responsibility to create order from chaos, to bring light into darkness, and to make this world a place of flourishing for all living creatures. When we farm and when we write and when we teach, when we make products and make food, when we design and build, when we work as a team, when we care for others, it's all an act of creation. And then on the seventh day, we rest, we celebrate, we enjoy the work of our hands and we give glory to God who has given all of it to us. And then we do it again and then again and then again 52 times a year. It happens over and over again because this world is still not yet as it should be. It has been scarred by thorns and thistles. It is characterized by difficult labor, by pain and darkness. But the world was not created to be this way. Our choices have made it so. The initial choice and subsequent choices that we make to not follow God, to follow our own way, making selfish choices that lead to the elevation of ourselves over and against others. Humanity has been stuck in this disobedience and evil, stuck in the pain that it inflicts on the world. But God says, stop and remember. Remember what you were created for. Remember what good comes from it when you walk a different path. Remember it every week. Reenact this creation story in your life. We need to be reminded, which is why they practiced Sabbath, that seventh day of rest every week. But it's not just about work, and it's not just about rest. The, the seventh day, it's so much more than that. It's such a cool thing. It, it points to this time of completion. Within the Bible and other ancient Near Eastern culture, the number seven has a symbolic meaning of fullness or completeness. You see seven pop up all over the Bible in that way. And the seventh day, obviously, is the capstone of creation. It is finished. God comes to dwell in that creation, walking with humanity in the garden. And through that core story of Genesis 1 and our reenactment of it, we come to long for the seventh day to enjoy the fruit of God's creation, to walk in peace with him, with the hard toil of the week behind us. And then also, side note about the Sabbath, because I think it's important, but I'll just point it out. Sabbath is also tied to one of the other Israelites' core stories in the Exodus, in freeing the Israelites from slavery. Again, it's just all about being freed to rest and celebrate and be with God, and the reference for that is in Deuteronomy 5. Um, it's, it's all beautiful. Uh, and Israel's whole calendar 
begins to revolve around this cycle of seven that we see with the Sabbath. God institutes these holidays and feasts that they're supposed to use to celebrate and remember. Uh, One of these is called the Feast of Weeks, and um, it works like this. Seven Sabbaths, which is seven weeks, seven Sabbaths after the harvest of the first fruits, very agrarian culture, they were farmers, so seven Sabbaths after the harvest of the first fruits, they would have an extra Sabbath and a celebration. And so seven Sabbaths is seven times seven, which is 49, yes. And then they take the next day to be an extra Sabbath, which is 50. Uh, And so that's why in Greek it's called Pentecost, which means 50. And so that's outlined in Leviticus 23. Leviticus, the boring book, is actually very interesting. (laughs) Uh, And then in Leviticus 25, we have Sabbath years outlined, where every seven years, they are commanded to let the land rest. It says uh, in uh, Leviticus 25, for six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its produce, but during the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. And then, there's more. Every seven times seven years, you get an extra special Sabbath year. And this would only happen basically once in a lifetime for every Israelite. So every seven times seven years, that's 49. The next year, the 50th, shall be an extra special Sabbath year. And this was called the Jubilee. And so this year was special, not because it was a Sabbath year, but also because all debts were essentially canceled. Property is returned back to its owners. Slaves were freed. It was this complete reset. All all of the people who have found themselves so poor that they've sold their lands or bodies to stay alive, God says they're now free, restored to how they were before so that unjust levels of inequality might not build up in Israel and destroy future generations. God also outlines strict policies in this chapter for how not to take advantage of the poor even outside of the Jubilee year, like not charging interest, not profiting off the poor and how you help them to stay afloat because you have to help them stay afloat. All of these calendar events that are in the Bible, you know, we have the Sabbath every seven days, the Feast of Weeks, that's seven times seven Sabbaths, and the Sabbath year every seven years, and then the Jubilee every seven times seven years, they're all reminders acted out. And they're all reminders looking back to what God did in creation, but also looking forward to a future day, the ultimate seventh day when creation is finished, when all is restored. And this is what we, as followers of Jesus, put our hope in. All throughout the Old Testament, the the Israelites practiced these calendar celebrations, longing for this hope to come. The, the prophets would write about this future day, trying to instill hope in the people of God as they suffered. And then Jesus comes into the scene. If you have a Bible, this is a good one to flip to. It's Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14. 
Luke has this awesome account of the first thing Jesus does as he begins his ministry. Let's, let's read it. It's Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding region. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And then he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so he's quoting in that section from Isaiah, like it said, and it's about this ultimate mega Sabbath, the ultimate jubilee. And then verse 20 it says, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the people in the synagogue were intently directed at him. Now he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What a claim. He is saying, hey, that ultimate Sabbath, that ultimate jubilee, that hope for a future seventh day rest, I'm bringing it, it begins now. What a claim. And then we begin to see examples from his life as he proved that he is the ultimate rest bringer, healing people, freeing people from their bondage to sin, showing them what true Sabbath looks like. Jesus' life and everything that led up to it, all that imagery in the Old Testament of creation and the abundance of God's gifts, of the exodus and the freedom from slavery, of the jubilee and the canceling of debts and the restoring of lives, it all points to this new day, this new age, this new creation that Jesus says he is inaugurating. And so when Jesus dies, he is in the grave during Sabbath. And then with the first light of the new week, he rises again and is the first fruit of God's new creation. And then, in the story, you probably know it, seven times, seven Sabbaths later, it's the Feast of Weeks. It's Pentecost. And God's Spirit is then poured out on thousands of people. And they start multiplying, and they start this multiplying community of Jesus' followers whose practices of fellowship and breaking bread and sharing their possessions together, it all illustrates and lives out the rest and celebration that Jesus was pointing to. And so now we, as a church, we meet on the first day of the week. It's on Sunday. And if you've noticed in your calendar, Sunday is the first day of the week. It doesn't feel like it because calendar feels weird now. It's the weekend. It doesn't feel like the week beginning on a Sunday. But historically, Sunday is the first day of the calendar. And it's because it's the day that Jesus rose again, beginning the new creation. That's why churches... Uh, Christian churches these days meet on Sunday instead of Saturday, like the typical, the typical Sabbath. 
It's the new week when Jesus rose again and we are a people of the new creation, freed through God's spirit, freed to live as people who embody the Sabbath and embody the exodus and the jubilee and this new creation. May we embody Jesus and may we find rest for our souls in him. We do that with the Spirit's help, but we have to work with him to cultivate practices that remind us, practices that help us to live out our calling, to intentionally practice Sabbath or hospitality or generosity, all of these practices that flow out of God's heart with that seventh day rest so that we do these practices so that when we're tired and when the world feels hopelessly lost, we might have reminders of what God is doing to recreate this world and to bring it to this place of ultimate rest and freedom. And we can come alongside him in spreading that message of liberation. So to close things out, I have a special thing for you. We haven't done this in a long time. I have a video for you. <laughs> it's uh, from the Bible Project because they nailed this topic and they condensed it down to this little five-minute video and it's fantastic. Uh, if, if you're not aware of Bible Project, it's an amazing website, resource, uh, project. They have little five-minute explainer videos like we're going to watch. They also have blog posts. They have longer form podcasts. They even have like seminary level classes and it's all free. It's super awesome. And so this is my pitch. Go there, look at the stuff. It's awesome. It's bibleproject.org. You'll learn an enormous amount about the Bible. And so here's that video and then I'll pop back up and I will close us out. Let's play. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. Yeah, and biblical. The number seven is a big deal in the Bible. Yeah, in biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Yes. Now keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in the Bible. It begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish. And this happens over the course of six days. Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Right. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. It's like a day with no end. On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans who are appointed to rule the world with God forever. Kings and queens of the seventh day rest. I can get into that. But the humans are deceived by a dark power and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness where they have to work as slaves to the land. Until they die and return to the dust from which they came. But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can share it with others. But 
How? They're in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who's grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt and he liberates the Israelites, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land. Now, while they're on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost, life is a struggle, they're not in the land of rest yet. But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. But how do you practice the future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day they are to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. So take a whole day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come. Yeah, this is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more. The Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that Israel practiced every year, each one anticipating that seventh day rest. That is a lot of sevens. And there's even more. Every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. And then every seven times seven years was the ultimate seventh day rest called the year of Jubilee. If anyone had lost their land or gone into debt, all was forgiven everything restored. Wow, so the Sabbath, these feasts, the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing towards the hope of future rest. Right. Now, when the Israelites went into the land, they forgot their God, and so they forfeited their chance for rest in the Promised Land. They're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation, led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would end one day and that the ultimate Jubilee of freedom and rest would come but generations go by and they're still waiting. It's at this dark point in the story that Jesus appears and he launches his public mission on a Sabbath day. Yeah, he read aloud from the scroll of Isaiah saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. What did he mean, this is the year of the Lord's favor? He was talking about the ultimate jubilee. Also, Jesus is claiming that seventh day rest would come through him. Right, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath and he confronted disorder and darkness and all of its forms, liberating people from sickness, sin, even from death itself. Yet, Jesus was killed, so even his work was undone. Well, it seemed that way. But notice, Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath and on the eighth day, he rose from the dead. Oh wait, the eighth day? You mean the first day of a new week? Exactly. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of future rest. But we're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness, where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now by following him, or in his words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.